I really enjoyed the um, topic that we heard here from Dan. And uh, I often tend to think of, uh, remind myself that the Bible really is an autobiography of Jesus Christ. And when you think of it that way, it helps me to understand, especially the Old Testament and portions of the Old Testament that at least at face value are hard to read or hard to understand. But it points to Christ, and that's uh, what our responsibility is to this very day. <clears throat> All right. As I mentioned last evening, I um, want to speak this evening on excommunication. And as I studied today, I um, actually found myself um, thinking more and more in terms of church discipline. And I'm not sure if that's splitting hairs or exactly what, um, why I was led that way. I don't know if it really makes a lot of difference to me, but um, that's just sort of where I came out. The teaching here is, uh, that I'm basing off this evening is in 1 Corinthians 5, where we have a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians that's dedicated to Paul's exhortation. Actually, exhortation is sort of a mild word as I look at it. Uh, Paul really gets after them for not using church discipline, for not getting on with church discipline. And I actually found myself, um, as I looked at the corresponding teaching, especially in the epistles and the New Testament um, in general, I found myself understanding or at least sort of catching on at least in a little bit that church discipline in the New Testament is sort of depicted as something very normal. Most of the epistles have church discipline as kind of piece and parcel of what was going on in a church. I find that kind of... Um, a little unsettling as I think of it. But yet that's, um, yeah, I, if you find, see me wrong in that area, I, I'm willing to uh, take a look at it. But almost all of the epistles have teaching about uh, church discipline. And as I prepared, um, I had this secondary uh, realization or understanding that we have not had very much teaching or preaching on this particular subject. And my, to my knowledge, I think here at Weavertown, at least in my memory, we've maybe had one sermon on excommunication or church discipline. Other than that, I don't remember ever hearing teaching on this, in, uh, whether it's a Sunday morning sermon or um, an evening like this evening or uh, either at Weavertown or elsewhere. I, I believe... I believe that church discipline must be considered a, a hard subject to teach on, a difficult one to talk about, a difficult subject to discuss. Why is that? What are some of your ideas? Why is church discipline a difficult subject to talk about or to teach on? 
because we've seen the misuses of it and abuses that have, have uh, gone on. Um, th that is such an interesting subject, to look at the history, just our Anabaptist story on how it's been, how church discipline has been handled. And um, yeah, there were periods of time in, in our history where the practice of church discipline, specifically excommunication, was practically on steroids. Um, probably many of you have known or heard of the story of Jacob Alman, how he excommunicated a whole church that was not even in his country. He was from, let me get this straight, he was from Switzerland, and Hans Reich and his followers were in the Netherlands, and Jacob Alman excommunicated people that didn't even live in his country, a whole church. And Jacob Bauman especially probably gets the credit for this uh, excommunication on steroids uh, practices. At one point, he excommunicated himself. Um, yeah. What are some other reasons? Why, why is this a difficult subject to talk about? I'm sort of deaf. You're going to have to talk loud enough that I can understand. Maybe other people can too. Gross misuse. Misuse. Okay. That fits right in with what John was saying. Just the, the abuses that take place over time. What else? We don't like discipline. Say it one more time. We don't like discipline. We don't like it. Okay. There's a couple of people talking here. Uh, varied opinions. And someone else over here. Yeah. Too many times church discipline is, is a, uh, what should I say, it's, it's a judgment rather than a, a reconciliation. Okay. And what you're saying, I believe, as I understand it, is that too frequently it's been used to, as a condemnation, not as a, uh, an appeal or there's no reconciliation that becomes part of it. Um, that's true. Um, the fault of that is not always on the part of the church. I would submit to that. At least is my thought. But you're right. It's too often used as a condemnation and ends up being no reconciliation or no follow-up. Uh, yeah. What else are you thinking? When is it necessary? Do you mind if we sit on that to just, uh, yeah, I have that in my flow of things here. Maybe it's just a time to, to move on then. <clears throat> One of the strong tenets of Anabaptism and the worldview that goes with Anabaptism is the desire and the quest to have a pure church. Uh, I think probably all of us would have heard that in some shape or form, at least in our growing up. It's part of our, um, it's just intertwined with our Anabaptist uh, heritage. We want a pure church. And down through the centuries, it has consumed, maybe church leaders especially, but the church, church people in general are consumed with wanting a pure church. In other words, 
The feeling is that if the church is not pure or something is going on that's not pure, then I'm out. I'm not part of it. I can't be part of it. I, it, it defiles me somehow. Or the uh, thought is even carried into communion, which we'll talk about um, on another evening, where we want purity. And if it's to the degree that it's not pure, is the degree that we find ourselves distancing ourselves from that. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 talks about that. It was also a desire in the early church in the New Testament times. It says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is Paul talking. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 bring that idea about purity in the church. 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Speaks of purity. Proverbs actually brings out numerous times in different ways about the need for creating distance between people that are not doing as they should. And how that interaction with people that are not doing as they should can indeed impact us and cause us not to do as we should. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. <clears throat> Let's talk about some New Testament passages that talk about church discipline and specifically, well, let's just say church discipline. Matthew chapter 18 is probably one of the more familiar passages to us, and I'm not going to take the time to turn to that, but it basically gives the principle that if you are, if somebody is uh, sinning and you know about it, you as a responsible person, as a believer, are responsible to go talk to that person and try to work it out between yourselves. If that is not successful, then you get one or two more and you try to work it out. And it escalates and says that if that is not successful, you bring it to the church. And if that is not successful, you treat that person as a uh, heathen or a publican, I think are the terms that are used there in, in um, Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, uh, a little later on in, uh, well, just, just prior to, yeah, in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. And that is also repeated in numerous other places. In 2 Thessalonians and in... Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, and just a little bit later on, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 14 and 15. And Titus chapter 3, it uses that same idea where its instruction is given that a, um, that a person who is uh, divisive or creating sides and doesn't respond to 
proper admonition is to be rejected or refused. The King James Version uses the word rejection. Um, then you have a passage like we have before us here uh, this evening, 1 Corinthians 5, where we have a whole chapter that deals with discipline. Here in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul, like I said, confronts them because there are reports out. The story is being told, it was accurate, by the way, that there was sexual sin in their midst. And their response, according to verse 2, was that they were kind of puffed up about this or they felt good about the fact somehow, at least my interpretation is, they felt good that they were giving this person leniency or in some way or another that this person was fitting in or um, instead of addressing this, they felt some sort of smug satisfaction somehow. Say it again. The footnote says proud. They were proud. Somehow or another, they felt good about what was going on. Is that, is that how you would interpret it? Yeah. They weren't addressing it. <clears throat> the purpose of church discipline... Oh, I uh, had this one as well. Second Timothy chapter 2, 16 and 18, 16 through 18, Paul says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and throw the, overthrow the faith of some. What is the purpose of church discipline? That's the question that Ivan asked a little while ago. Is that right? Was that the question, or did you have something else in mind? Yeah, well, maybe more specifically, like, when one of the yeah, that Okay, okay. Well, let's start with the, uh, the purpose of excommunication or church discipline. What, what do you think? What is the purpose of, or some of the purposes of church discipline? I don't think there's just one. We've already sort of referred to some of them, and I'm fine with you just repeating them. To keep the church pure. To keep the church pure. Structure. Structure. Restoration. Restoration. That should always be the goal. Any others? Well, those are pretty much the ones I thought of. It's designed to save an erring person. It's designed to be a reminder to a person who's not doing as they ought, who is walking disorderly is the term that's used in Second Thessalonians. It should never be an act of revenge toward people who have fallen from the faith. In other words, if a person is sinning, it should never it should never be used as an act of revenge or in some way or another evening the score. <clears throat> the scriptures, however, 
do give us instruction that it's both church discipline is both corrective and that it's also protective. Right here in the passage, it says, it uses the word um, in verse 5, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I, I've pondered that and wondered just even today as I was studying, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean for the destruction of the flesh? It, it sort of sounds in the King James Version as excommunication is to destroy the person. What are your thoughts? What do you think this means here about the um, uh, verse 5 there? The destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved. It's calling for repentance. It's calling for repentance, yeah. What about the destruction part? Yeah, quite a few of the other translations say something to that effect. In other words, the assumption is made here that if there's a line drawn, it brings a check to that person. And those of us who have children sort of understand at least the parts of this. We've, we've understood, we should understand as good parents that Boundaries actually create freedom for the child. It creates a place, a direction to walk. It creates a check uh, for that person's conscience. It's the same thing that happens when we're driving down the highway and we're just you know, minding our business, maybe in the left lane, passing cars, and we see a cop. You know what the first thing is we do? Boom. We hit the brakes. It's a check in our conscience. The presence of that, that officer reminds us that there's a law. I think that's largely what this means, to destroy the sin nature. It, it brings a reminder. It brings a check. It creates a boundary, not only for the person that's sinning, but for the people that are in the church. It's for the protection of the church as well. The old adage that we've used is that one apple, one bad apple, spoils the whole bushel. And the words that we've used a few times here this evening is that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Actually, that's used here in our text here in verse 6. Your glorying or your pride, like Floyd um, mentioned, your glorying is not good, he says. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. <clears throat> when Paul was uh, admonishing the congregation at Corinth to take care of the problem of their immoral brother here, he says, don't you know that the presence of a little leaven spreads through the whole lump. It affects the whole congregation. In another passage, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, uh, maybe I have the, yeah, he says, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. In verse, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, he says, by their smooth and fair speech, they beguile the hearts of the simple. 
And that's in the context of church discipline as well, where he says that we need to draw a line because of false teaching specifically, is that immature Christians are deceived. Beguiled is the word that he used. Immature Christians can uh, be deceived. False teaching is actually one of the highest forms of Paul's instructions about church discipline. And uh, I find that sort of interesting and instructive, especially for myself as a church leader. Um, there is very few times where I remember or have ever, have, I, I do not, have not frequently heard people being excommunicated because of false teaching. Um, but yet that's one of the stronger parts of Paul's teaching on church discipline. And I'm not exactly sure how to, how to work through that. But I'm just saying the way I see it as, uh, as I study it. I've already talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, who made shipwreck of the faith. And Paul says in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 1 that he delivered them to Satan. Sort of the same um, words that are being used here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In other words, he disfellowshipped with them. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 here clearly brings out the idea that the action of that is good for the welfare of the person himself and also the rest. Verse 6 talks about a little leaven leavening the whole lump. So the, the thought is take the leaven out and the whole lump can be retained or, yeah, preserved. So one of the purposes of church discipline is for the protection of the church. <clears throat> Secondly, some of these verses here, I think, also highlight the idea that church discipline is to preserve the integrity of the church before the eyes of the world. Now, um, we talk about our testimony sometimes, and we should. But when, just imagine the reaction of a, of a person in the community that knows a person from Weavertown, and he knows things about that person from Weavertown that are not good. It instinctively gives that person a picture of the whole group. And that becomes quite a responsibility for each of us individually. <clears throat> we should never give occasion to the adversaries of God's people or even just people looking in to... Uh, well, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14 uses the word revile um, so that people cannot revile God's name, give non-occasion for the enemy, enemy to speak or the adversary to speak reproachfully. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 says that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And it's talking, it names 
uh, incorrect behavior there in connection with that. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 talks about that the way of truth be not evil spoken of. What are some of your thoughts on that? The purpose of church discipline. Is, are, is there something else yet before we move on that you'd like to point out? All right, now let's move on to uh, conduct deserving of church discipline. And the Bible is actually not vague on this, at least as I see it. What sort of attitudes, what sort of conduct warrants the measure of excommunication, warrants church discipline? Um, yeah, what, let's name some things. And I have these... Uh, Scriptures. Actually, perhaps the best, the best, maybe the best way to do it would just be to have volunteers to take this to read it. Who would read uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen to seventeen? Lavelle, Romans sixteen seventeen. Wayne, Titus three ten. Alfie, First Corinthians five verse eleven. Norman. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Nate Bang. Uh, let's see, we're ready for 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18. Mark, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. All right, go ahead and read those. Uh, uh, maybe it would be about as good for you to just stand when you read them so people can hear it well. There it names a trespass against thee, specifically. That's the start of it, at least. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. There it says divisions and promote teachings and doctrines that are contrary to what Paul taught. Who's next? Somebody doesn't hear the counsel of the church, which goes along with Matthew 18 as well. Go ahead. First Corinthians 5.11, Those are some interesting and rather strong words. Very descriptive, and they're also very contemporary, very modern words. Who's next? Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Uh, let's see, what would be the easiest summary there? They've uh, backslid. Um, Blasphemy. I'm not exactly sure. It would probably be the idea of taking credit for something that 
was God's or is God's. Next. Second Timothy 2, 16 to 18 comes right after the verse studied to show that self-approved unto God a workman that, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 16, but shun and profane name babbles, but it will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have heard, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So that would be false teachers that are actually influential, influencing uh, others. Uh, Steve, I think I remember. Second Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. That one's especially interesting not to keep company with those that walk disorderly. That's a pretty comprehensive list, isn't it? And also very instructive. Um, yeah, quite a few of those verses give clear instruction about our response to a person doing what is not good. <clears throat> How have we done? How are we doing? How should church discipline be administrated? Um, how should it be done? <clears throat> a verse that immediately comes to my mind is Galatians 6.1. It says, Therefore, or brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. And I think that word restore is rather key there. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Now, I, I think that uh, in every congregation where there's qualified or appointed leaders, men serving as organizers or whatever term you want to use, it would be naturally thought of as it is the responsibility or uh, that the leaders would lead the church in the withdrawal of people who are in sin. But I'm just going to stress that if that's the only direction that leadership or that church discipline is coming from, it's going to be highly unsuccessful, I think, if that's the only place that it's coming from. This fellowship, church discipline, is not I don't think maybe even primarily an eldership act. It should include the elders. But I don't see Paul calling out the elders here in 1 Corinthians 5 and saying, you know, pastor so-and-so, it is your responsibility to take care of this. 
Rather, he's talking in terms of you. You as a congregation are responsible to do this. It's the activity. Church discipline is an activity on the part of the whole church. And the formalization of that procedure maybe comes from the leaders, but it needs to come, it needs to be embraced by the whole. Paul commands the Corinthian Christians to deliver the erring brother to Satan when they're gathered together. I think that's rather interesting. When they're together. It's not some backroom deal where elders are making the decision and it's carried out. I think that, is, uh, that stands out to me. It says when they're gathered together, this is done. It also talks about, it reminds me that there's due process that's taken. Where it's not sprung as a surprise or um, it's been a, something that's been being worked on. <clears throat> Just for interesting, you know where this first found well, two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. That's a popular and common verse that we use in all kinds of occasion. But in what context is it written? Somebody tell me. You'll have to Google it, I guess. Matthew 18. It immediately follows the verses that, that Lavelle read earlier. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I find that tremendously comforting. And that is not talking to pastors necessarily. It's talking to the whole church. It's talking to everybody that reads it. I'm going to take just a little bit of a diversion here now and tell you sort of some things that I think um, we have, we have uh, words that have been assimilated into our culture, especially when we use the words like ordinances. We have heard many times that there are seven ordinances. And I have for a little while already said, who says that there are seven you won't find it any place in the New Testament to my knowledge. But thanks to Daniel Kaufman, he was the first one that I know of that came along and wrote a good book called Doctrines of the Bible. And he organized seven. Well, I think there's more than seven. I think you could make a very strong case that giving is an ordinance or tithing. We give 10%. Okay, let me back up. Daniel Kaufman, I think, correctly says that an ordinance is something that we do externally as a visual or a reminder of something that is already taking place spiritually. We've heard that already, right? It's something external that is a picture of something that happens spiritually or inwardly. Okay, so we give... I think the Bible sort of teaches the word tithe means tenth or indicates tenth. We give generously to remind us that all of it is God's. We don't give 10% and the other 90% is ours. I think you could make a case and say that, that ordinations are an ordinance. 
I think you could make a case and say that excommunication is an ordinance. And when I think of excommunication in that way, it helps me. It gives me guidance. I do not think that we should be excommunicating people that are repentant, for example. I think it's for people that are not repenting. People that have been reminded. People that have been talked to. That have but only continue to sin. That's what I think. I think it's a little bit of a guidance for us. However, it is, again, it's just interesting to me. Yeah, and, and maybe we've just got our act together. I'm not sure. But excommunication doesn't happen very often, right? Um, I was recently talking with a person who's only a little younger than me, and he said he was never present when an excommunication was carried out. In fact, he said in his church, he doesn't think that's ever happened. That he couldn't re recall, at least. And this was a beachy friend of mine. Yeah, maybe that church has everything together. I, 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 th I hope that's the case. But it, again, it's not something that we're looking for or looking... We're not eager to carry this out. It hurts because there's... A parting of ways or there's a call to action and um, yeah maybe parents and school teachers and those kinds of things can sort of relate to just the uh, hard part that comes with John a line we have just a couple minutes I, I, I was giving my thoughts how, how what do you think about that or uh, what would you like to add I find it interesting that uh, in Second Thessalonians or Second Corinthians, it sounds as though that excommunication worked for that man that was in, in sin in chapter five. Yeah. Did you, did you find that? Yeah, it's later in. Is it? Is in Second Corinthians? In Second Corinthians, go ahead, read that. You have it there. Second Corinthians, uh, I had it here a bit ago. Um, I think it's in yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says here, concerning the man, it's, that's what I'm talking to about, that was that repented. And it says in verse 6, sufficient is such an end of this punishment. Which was, which was, it afflicted of, afflicted of many, that so that contrivalized we should rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps he should be swallowed up with overcome, with, and overcome with sorrow. <coughs> then it says, Wherefore well, I beseech you that we will confirm your love toward him. Mm -hmm. I think there's also another verse there in 2 Corinthians. I don't have it in my notes, uh, but I saw some other hands here. Thank you for that. What else are you thinking, or what thoughts are you going through your mind in relation to Marlon? Okay, I'm not sure I'm quite 
un, uh, understanding. So, so just repeat it. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about that. Shunning, that's the word that, that our culture uses. Yeah. What, what's implied or what, what, what's, what's outstanding about that teaching there in 1 Corinthians? What, yeah, what do you think about that? If you, if you look up the word uh, or that wording there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the uh, Strong's, it does... It does really uh, imply eating with them in a material or physical way. Mm -hmm. However, we must recognize in Jewish culture, of course, this was Greek culture as well, that in eating in those days meant a covenant with each other and really meant a close fellowship. So, you know, where are we? That word is very closely connected to the word communion. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that some more. But the, the, when it talks about eating in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it at least sometimes is talking about communion. It's sort of hard to split just exactly what he's, if he's talking about communion or if he's sitting down and talking, um, uh, having lunch at Burden Hand or something like that. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot of connection and socialization that happens around food. I mean, there's probably a few people that understand that better than our, our Amish or Mennonite heritage. We, we bring food all the time. Go ahead. If scripture was something like contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, then you qualified in things contrary to what Paul taught. I like that. I mean, because it depends what they learn, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly are impacted by, like I said at the beginning here, by abuses of this teaching. And uh, while it's very difficult for us to talk about something like this without thinking about this, yeah, I, yeah. I think we also need to find the balance and, and not base the teaching uh, on compared to the abuses that we see. All right, it's just about time for me to close, and I do have a few little bit of material yet. Let's talk about some oh, objections to church discipline. Objections to church discipline. Start saying them. We're sort of telling on ourselves here, I guess, right? Why is church discipline, or what are some reasons or excuses or objections to church discipline? <clears throat> I think rejection can scar someone for a lifetime, or it's, it's one thing that can scar someone for a lifetime. Especially if it's done incorrectly. 
there are several people talking here. Go ahead. What they're doing or their direction? Sure, more time. Joseph said rejection. It shouldn't be rejection. It shouldn't be rejection. It's actually boundaries done well are a form of security and love. But yeah, unfortunately, it, it's, it's, it can be done wrongly where it, yeah, it, it can be perceived as rejection. We use the word kicked out. <clears throat> Someone was talking about it. Yeah. 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 Let me uh, just list some of the ones I have, and they were sort of uh, referred to already in some ways. Um, one of the objections that we hear is that no one is worthy to do this. It's an allegation that since no one is perfect, then no one really has the right to draw a line. Um, commonly, you might hear the words from uh, Jesus talking to the uh, woman caught in adultery. Is it 835? What, what? It's 835, right? I mean, the, the program, right? All right, well, I'd better shut this down. <laughs> it's already past that now. But the words are used, he says, without sin, let him cast the first stone. And that's usually used as a, as a context to not draw any lines. Or sometimes you will hear the words, relieve the terrors to God. It's uh, sort of contended or acknowledged that there's terrors in the kingdom or in a church or in a group that you're a part of. And we should just leave that to God. At the end of the world, God's going to, you know, we take care of the tares and separate chaff from the wheat or the wheat from the, the tares. Or we use the words, judge not. It's probably one of the most common verses, especially by unbelievers. Judge not that ye be not judged. I think it's very interesting that here in 1 Corinthians 5, and I actually have a little bit prepared here for that, but I'm not going to take the time to do it. He actually gets on them for not judging. How interesting is that? Is there not a judge among you? Are, are you so unable to discern? Another objection is that people just need love. They need affirmation or praise. And if you praise or affirm them enough, they'll end up doing what's right. Um, that's correct. But it, I don't know that it in any way undoes the need for boundaries or limits or discipline. Um, yeah, I think you parents can think through that one pretty easily. Or, in some cases in church discipline, they will say, well, what about him or her? And the thought is that you can't draw a line on this case as long as this case is not taken care of. As if, again, as if drawing no lines is actually the option. Well... 
again, part of my reason for, and part of my design in this topic and preparing these topics is to raise issues and to um, have you feed into this and think through it tonight and tomorrow. Um, I certainly don't have these, this subject or any of these subjects cornered. And so uh, dig into it and uh, yeah, find what is truth. That is my prayer. Thank you for your attention. Let's stand up and...